Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Hello and welcome to Sacred Nine Podcast. A lot of exciting things are happening. We have launched the Jewel Prize for African American Spirituals and are now accepting new spirituals arrangements from yet unpublished African American composers. There is a $1,000 prize and a premiere in New Orleans in March 2024. For guidelines and to learn how to donate to this initiative, please visit sacrednine.com jewel. For more information on giving, visit sacrednine.com giving. Here you can see donor tiers. Also, if you give exactly $300, not only will you be designated as a Doan patron, but also as a singer sponsor. I'm doing a Summer on Stage series right now, and I'm so happy to have my longtime friend and colleague, Elizabeth Argus, on the show today. As you will see, Liz sees today's challenges in musical theater as a great opportunity, and that is at least one way in which I aspire to be more like her. We spoke so long that we will have the benefit of her company for two episodes, extending Summer on Stage for a total of four episodes. Also, there is a link about her in the show notes, and if you go to sacrednine.com slash podguestnews. Today we are with my friend and longtime collaborator, Liz Argus. Liz, please introduce yourself. Well, hi, I'm Liz Argus. Um... I've been working as a dancer and an actor, uh, teacher, choreographer, director um, for, I, I guess, actively working at this about 35 years, uh, mostly in the New Orleans market, uh, taught, did a little bit of work in the D.C. area, but New Orleans is basically my artistic home. Yes. And and for the listener, you might not know Liz, but she is truly one of the finest actors. I mean, I would put her up against an actor that you see in the movies or on the in, in the, new, the New York stage. She's over here shaking her head because she's modest. That's Y'all just how she is. Y'all can't see me blushing. <laughs> yeah. She's very very modest, but I'm ask anybody who knows her. And they will say the same thing. And I have some statistics about you and me. And that mm. is, um, I know Liz from Summer Lyric Theater at Tulane, where I am currently the interim artistic director, but a long time um, music director. So can you guess how many shows I've conducted you in? 20? It's exactly 20! Ah, 20. <laughs> did, you do, did you do any homework before you came here? Nope. Then? nope. That is crazy. It is exactly 20. I just figured it was roughly 15 years, but I've taken a few off to have baby, a baby, to have baby, <laughs> and, uh, and then maybe added a few because there's some summers where I've done more than one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but you've, you've musically directed me more than 15 years. It goes back yeah. to oh, more yeah. like 25. Well, since um, 2002 would be my first summer doing it. Now, okay. I'm not sure if you did a show that particular summer, but you probably did. I don't um, know. So that's when it started. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's when I started conducting you. But right. then the other statistic is, do you know how many times we've actually been on stage in the same show? Mm, maybe five. Three. Three. I okay. think three. Okay. Do you know how many shows we've actually had lines, like a scene together? Uh, well, a, a little night music. Is that's it, it just one? That's it. Yep. Now... 
back in the day in Crazy For You, <laughs> I was a male dancer. I remember. Only because I could move and I knew how to do rhythm and... Speaking of, I got rhythm for Crazy For You, Diane kind of said, we need you. So there was this one scene where I was like, I think, carrying you around on a pickaxe or something. Okay. So we were like in a scene together, but in terms of like lines, it was just a little night music. And that was... 2013. 2013 was night music, and the Crazy For You that we did was uh, like tw- 90, tw- 97. 97. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. 96. 96. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Yep. So that's wow. that's our statistics. Yeah. And for my listeners, I've always been, um, when I finally got that, uh, when I did uh, the count in A Night, Night Music, she was Desiree. And I was like, I finally get to have a scene with Liz <laughs> because it was kind of like on my bucket list. And of course, she was such a pro. And whenever I would forget a line, there was this one part where I always you had, had to like to take off and put on I had your to, clothes. I did, yeah. But to... there was this one time when I had to like point at your stomach or mm-hmm. something, and I always forgot my line right there. <laughs> <laughs> no matter, what. and I couldn't waltz. So, I, but you still look so graceful, anyhow. So anyway, mm-hmm. listener, as you can tell, I have a long love and history with Elizabeth Argus. Well, the feeling is very, very mutual. And a little bit of hero worship, too, because I came to choral conducting very late. And uh, Leonard, I consider you one of my role models and and mentors. So That's very sweet. Yeah, you convinced me about about 15 years ago that I really needed to learn solfege and teach it to my students. And you were right. It's revolutionary. Yeah. So... Well, okay. Uh, that's just the beginning. Yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. Incredible admiration. Well, of course, the same here. And uh, we've had so many deep conversations about so many things, mm-hmm. about the arts and about music, which, and as you know, uh, Sacred Nine Project is is kind of centered around what are some of the problematic aspects of our music history in this mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. and what do we do about it? You know, it all started when... I um I stumbled across Southern Harmony from 1835 online. You know you can you can find everything online virtually now, <laughs> virtually now. <laughs> and um and I I found what I was looking for. I was looking for um the old tune Holy Manna, or as I knew it as a child, brethren we have met to worship. And I started looking around, and I found Amazing Grace, all you know, Wondrous Love. And then I started finding these hymns that have fallen out of use. Mm-hmm. Um but that are really racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, people used to sing racism like in verse, like meter and rhyme. And I, I was just so blown away with uh, by it. And, um, and some experts I've talked to since on this podcast, independent of me, without me prompting them, I had already written kind of an essay about how it's, it's a, kind of the same thing as uh, removing Confederate monuments. Mm-hmm. How these... You know, these hymns have fallen out of use, you know. And then this collection, though, is still kind of the museum that we can go and, and we can learn learn about them. And and three of my six experts on the first series of, of things I did, they all said, this reminds me of the Confederate monuments. And I'm like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. interesting. So full disclosure, audience, and everybody who's listening, um, you might remember that my first... I guess four episodes were like multi-dimensional, you know, music examples, interviews, a, a lot of stuff. And then the market just wouldn't bear it anymore. 
because mm. I'm I don't even get a break during the summer. So the summer has been interviews mm -hmm. with people that I really respect in the business. And but actually, some of my favorite podcasts are just people talking to each mm -hmm. other. And maybe I'll go back to the other sort of over highly produced thing. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I might because I was talking to a colleague who said he really enjoyed the first few episodes. And it kind of gave me a boost to kind of like, okay, mm -hmm. maybe I can just carve out more time to do it in the future. In any case, we're going to talk about, in the summer, we're talking about musical theater. Mm -hmm. We talked to Diane Lala last week and then another colleague of mine in um, the, the episode before. So my first question is, I mean, my in, it's some of the same questions as last episode, but we'll get different perspectives from Liz. I'm going to th say Mikado, for example, is a show that is just mm -hmm. kind of over. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, even if you had all Japanese actors, it's like J Japanese from through the lens of an, an old white English guy, you right. know? So I, I, I don't see that as having any kind of life at all. Why, yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not Japanese. I'm, I'm white. Yes. Um, but it's, it's hard for me to imagine why any self-respecting Japanese cast would want to do that. Right. Um, for the, our audience, uh, Leonard and I both live in New Orleans, and there's a Mardi Gras parade here, the Zulu Carnival organization here, which was founded by uh, black New Orleanians who decided to um, take on the insulting imagery of blackface minstrelsy, turn it on its head, and um, claim it as um, their way of just telling the white power structure what they can do. And, um, and I've I won't say much more because I'm not black and I don't belong to Zulu, but I have some former students whose families do, and we've talked about it. And, um, it, you know, I think, I think in, in that narrow experience, they have the right to do whatever they want to do with that, with that imagery, with, that, with those racial stereotypes, because those stereotypes are used against them to, to corral them into a neat little box so that they can be uh, controlled. And so let's go back to Mikado. I would say if there's a Japanese American group of performers who decide they would like to work on Mikado uh, and, and, and make it work for them and for the Japanese-American community, I would be thrilled to see what they could come up with. And this is something else I've been thinking about, is that, you know, with, with Gil... I, I don't know if Gilbert and Sullivan, if their canon is still governed by um, heirs or uh, publishing restrictions, performance restrictions... So if it's in the public domain... I think it is, yes. Then we can do whatever we want with it. Right. So some of the problems that we're going to talk about today have to do with shows that are not in the public domain. American musical theater is barely 100 years old. 
And there are estates, there are heirs of these uh, creators who have very strict ideas about what we're allowed to take out of the script and what we're allowed to change. And that's an agreement that we willingly make because we want to respect the, the intellectual property of, of another human being. But it does kind of put us in a ticklish situation because we do have a collection of shows that are not in the public domain that we honestly just can't do anymore, but there isn't anything we can do with it except uh, a cabaret show, just pull the songs out um, and we can talk about that in a little while because oh. even, is it okay even to just pull the song out yes. and perform it? I want to talk about that now. Because of the associations that it, it's all, it's very sticky right now. Yeah. And, and Americans are justifiably really sensitive about this, especially young Americans. And Leonard, you and I both work with Gen Z and whatever the generation is that's coming up behind them. And they are extremely aware of these things. Yes. And they're very vocal. And I love it. Yeah. My generation was so apathetic. I love working with a generation who cares about trying to figure out what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. Yes. Actually, I this issue that I know you just alluded to, I had it kind of further down in our agenda, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. But since you had just mentioned that Mardi Gras thing and blackface minstrelsy, it, it's a perfect time to talk about it right now. Mm -hmm. And so my listeners already know, it's a question that I've already asked twice on, and I'll keep asking it because it's just, kind of, I need to keep exploring it and find out what people think about it. But um, on my last Sacred Nine concert, I was going to do this, you know, I like to do funny things with hymns. So I was going to do, it was a whole concert of all old gospel hymns. In the everything I do is in the public domain, and I was going to do a, a tenor tenor bass bass piece arrange "There Shall Be Showers of Blessing." Do you know that song? Um, no. There shall but... be showers of blessing. It's just an mm -hmm. old gospel Baptist hymn. Mm -hmm. It's my childhood, the song mm -hmm. of my people. Right. <clears throat> and um, I I just thought, what if I paired that with April showers? April showers. And I even like worked on how to kind of make them almost partner songs together. And then mm -hmm. I stopped dead in my tracks. And I thought, now, m if memory serves, this is an Al Jolson standard. Mm -hmm. And it is, of course, mm -hmm. from a, a Bombo, I think, from 1921. And, the, and he sings it in blackface. Mm -hmm. Of course, the song itself is just a lovely, universal song mm -hmm. about hope and looking on the bright side of things. Right. So my question is, even though he uh, Stephen Foster did not write this song, I know that. As I'm looking ahead to 2026, 20, when Stephen Foster will turn 200 years old, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with him? Because oh my gosh, I just had a flash. I just well, remembered it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I want I, I want to write for I say that. You know, Stephen Foster, by any objective measure, was a genius songwriter. One mm -hmm. of the best songwriters we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Beautiful dreamer. Mm -hmm. I mean, and. I want I want to celebrate his music, but unlike some of the other more quote unquote mild uh, minstrel composers, he wrote some really egregious yes. stuff. Yeah, 
like the second verse of um, Oh Susanna is just mm-hmm. unthinkable. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with Stephen Foster in 2026? So tell me about your flash. Well, so, so I had two. Uh, uh, one is I remember um, a concert that we did in Dixon Hall way back in like 1988. And we did a whole show. Uh, it was called Gen- 19th Century Genteel Parlor Music. We were all white performers. Mm-hmm. It was Confederate nostalgia Mm. from beginning to end. That was the whole concert. And it was 1988. I don't think there was any black or brown person who was associated with this production at all. Yeah. We were, I want to say innocently, but I say that, you know, with lots of asterisks around it because white Americans talk about how we innocently did this. Uh, Maybe innocent is not really the best word. Ignorantly Ignorantly. is maybe a better, a better word. Um, Just a lack of awareness. Absolutely. And um, you know, now I, I think about that concert and I, and I think there's, there's no way, there's no way that would fly. And I think this is the, this is the, 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 the central conflict that I deal with, and I know you deal with, Leonard, and a lot of people in our industry are dealing with right now. At what point are we willing to say it's worth the cultural loss not to continue to inflict harm on our fellow Americans. Yeah. Because it's ultimately about harm. Yeah, it is about harm. What harms another human being? Do we want to continue to inflict harm? Yeah. And it's it's uh, it's hard. It's you know, you mentioned April showers a couple of years ago when I was still conducting a high school choir right before I left. Every high school choral director and every online group I belong to said we can't sing jingle bells anymore for the same reason because because that's a song that comes out of blackface minstrelsy. See, I didn't even know that. Right. I did not even know that. I mean, and so if we if we really investigated how many American songs come out of blackface minstrelsy, um I think I think there would be a crisis. Maybe we need to have this crisis. I mean, sometimes a crisis should not be avoided because it's a necessary way to heal, to heal from a sickness yeah. and to move on. Yeah. And, and then you talk about blackface minstrelsy and some of the physical. So I started as a dancer, and so I'm very aware of, of movement on stage. And there are physical... Um, I'll just say memes. There are like musical theater memes uh, that have been a part of our stock in trade for a hundred years. And a lot of these movements come from blackface minstrelsy. Mm-hmm. The sideways, if, if y'all could see me, it's like turning your downstage shoulder down to the audience and with jazz hands and like shaking your upstage hand like that, you know, doing tambourine hands, you know, things that imitate tambourine, tambourines, tambourines, just having a tambourine on stage. Yeah. You know, uh, 
the the whole mammy like the mammy slide yeah. on on one knee it's a it's it, it's an iconic image and people in musical theater you know musical theater is on the one hand a very sophisticated art form but on the other hand it's also a lot like commedia dell'arte we've got stock yeah characters that we return to again and again and we have stock gestures that audiences recognize and they're just laden with cultural meaning yes and humor so i mean we were taught i think last summer you and diane who was who was with you last time yes the last we were talking about humor we were talking about jokes yeah like i i'm not jewish i don't think uh but i use yiddish yeah. terminology and exclamations all the time because in this business we use yiddish language left and right yes do i have the right to do that anymore that's a good question you, but oh my gosh i would be lost if i couldn't say i was schwitzing you know <laughs> I, what what would i do i, I it's just it, it certainly wouldn't be funny but do I want to make a joke at the expense of Jewish Americans? It, it used yeah. to be that we all did this. We, we were all kind of in it together. Yeah. Um, and now uh, things have kind of been upended. And, and so there is, there, there is a sense, uh, even though I don't agree with their point of view, I have sympathy for white Americans who are feeling lost mm. right now. What you just said reminded me of my quest with spirituals that mm -hmm. is still ongoing. And, uh, you know, there was a time when I started this quest around, I guess, maybe the very end of 2019 um, or the very beginning of 2020, right, right as the pandemic was hitting, I, had, I was going to be singing in church Elijah Rock by Moses Hogan. Mm -hmm. And one of my choir members in church said, I'm just not going to come that Sunday. And, you know, I had been, I had already stopped doing spirituals at Tulane for a decade because mm -hmm. I just didn't want to go there, you know, because it's a predominantly white chorus. Mm -hmm. And of course I'm white. And then when it's, when it started to happen in church choir, because church choirs have always been kind of given a sort of a pass because you can at least link the spiritual to the liturgy of whatever is happening that day. It's not just mm -hmm. a random, hey, let's do a spiritual, guys. Wouldn't that be fun and cool? Mm -hmm. you know, it's something that's integrated into the service. Mm -hmm. So when it started happening there, I thought, it's time to have a reckoning of some sort about spirituals. So I decided that what I was going to do is ask exclusively African-American people what they thought mm -hmm. about white people engaging with spirituals. And actually, that article is gonna is about to come out in January. Oh, cool! At the Journal of Singing with Nats. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, of course, there are people, there are African Americans who, who don't want white singing spirituals. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't want anybody singing spirituals because that is a sign of a very dark part in our history. Mm -hmm. It's over. We don't want to hear that music anymore. Mm -hmm. That's I don't think a lot of African Americans mm -hmm. feel that way, but some do. But most of the people that I interviewed or read articles from 
felt that they they welcomed it as long as we can we contextualize the spiritual in the right way we don't use it as our big finish we we don't just kind of throw it out there without giving some kind of context about that these songs were a not meant to be performed really um they mm, mm-hmm. they were never meant to mm-hmm, be performed mm-hmm. and they are born of absolute pain mm-hmm. just plain as even even the light-hearted ones mm-hmm. just have this kind of gravitas they're, they're, to it they're laments they're laments right and so um and that's why um one of the conclusions i made for this article is that like i do with my church music i never say we're going to be performing uh randall thompson's hallelujah today i'll say we're going to be offering randall thompson's hallelujah or mm-hmm. we're going to be giving to the to the mm-hmm. i say i don't say audience either i say congregation mm-hmm. so the same with spirituals i've changed my language around how i even talk about them mm-hmm. they're not performance pieces they're prayers they're, they're prayers or mm-hmm. there's something sacred about it's a them. cry it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah it's not it's not called spirituals by accident right so in any case um that, that when you said that about the Yiddish, uh, the most important thing about doing harm is what do what do Jewish people mm-hmm. uh, think about it? And of mm-hmm. course, it's not. I don't think it's quite the same thing as a spiritual, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. It, mm-hmm. It's certainly a similar idea. So yeah. Um, well, and I, I think this is also a central problem of being an American artist. Um, you know, I dabble in. Um, composition a little bit and I hear harmonic progressions in my head that are derived from gospel and spiritual traditions because I'm an American. I've been influenced like my my soul has been uh, formed by by black American music. Yeah. And uh, so I wouldn't know how to write any other way. And uh, so again, it's, it's kind of, even, even as an artist, there's just this sense of, you know, uh, I suppose right now I, I need to just tread with respect. Yeah. Uh, tread lightly. And, and I, love, I, I, I love the way you suggested that you know, go to the group that could be harmed and just ask. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a completely unrelated topic, but I was talking to some friends about why young people are leaving the church in droves. We need to figure out why our children are not joining us or whatever. And I, and I just said, I want to say, well, have you asked? <laughs> you yeah. Know, ask them. Yeah. And then listen I think I think if we could just listen with courage and if we're willing to to surrender the things that we've become attached to. Yeah. And to say that's over. But think about it, I mean, I've just came up with this, but you could think about it as like a relationship. Uh let's say as a friend you have just found out that there's something you've been doing um, that has really wounded your friend over and over and over again. Yeah. Maybe a dish that you cooked. Let's say your roommates, and uh, this is just, I'm using this as, as an analogy. And boy, you really love this dish. Uh, out of love for your friend, 
you wouldn't serve it to them anymore. Right. You would just stop. Yeah. You might even consider, hey, I, I could live without it. Yeah. I don't have to eat that. Instead meat. of saying, why don't you like this dish? This is right. a great dish. Right. Yeah. But to just say, I love you, and so I want to heal what's been wounded. Yeah. I, if Oh, my gosh. If as a society we could get there. Yeah. To just to just get to that point yeah. and to listen with love and and generosity. It's it's we could do anything. We could accomplish anything. And Absolutely. I think I think a new art form would begin to grow out of that. But right now we're that's not where we are. That's not where we are. And yeah. there there's a lot of hurt feelings running around. Yes. Um and uh, and you and I navigate this because we yes. work we work with college students and we and we're working in this business, right? And so. I, I want to take a detour, but not a detour mm -hmm. really. What is your favorite musical theater song? I know what you said in the past is your favorite song, like that that I just love to sing. Yes. Oh my gosh! We've um, already mentioned it today before we started the podcast. Oh, cockeyed optimist. Yes. So to my um, audience, th this is one of her favorite songs to sing. She's said it for years. And it's just so, it's so in line with her own personality. <laughs> no, because before we pushed record to start this podcast, we had a mini conversation about what we might be talking about today. And um, she was talking about, well, I'll let you say it in your own words. You were saying something about Spearhead. Can you remember what you were saying there? Oh, that... Um the so this whole country is um, ha, has been grappling with issues specifically about um, sexism and the rights of women, um, patriarchy, and and that whole arena of of life, and also racism. And, and the, the history of racism and the systemic systems uh, that really have to be recreated. Um, and um, there are other art forms and other pursuits that I feel like are kind of skating along and not really changing a whole lot. But for some reason, musical theater it is like the tip of the spear in this movement artistically. Yeah. There's maybe it's because of the legacy of Broadway itself. Broadway, in spite of the fact that uh, recently there's been a kind of a miniature Hollywood takeover mm -hmm. of Broadway. Yeah. The history of Broadway is that that was the place of progressive thought. That was the place where dangerous ideas were presented mm. to the American public. At, in their time, Rodgers and Hammerstein were revolutionaries. They, even the very first book musical that we, can, that we talk about as the first book musical, Showboat, was a show about racism. Yes, and um, uh, you know, I've, and I talked to my students about it. You know, why the popular 
perception is that Hollywood is like the liberal bastion of American culture. It's really not. It's much more conservative ah, than New York. Yes, yes. I see what you mean. New York has has been the center of innovation and change. And, um, you know, we talk about art influencing culture and culture influencing art. I feel like in in New York, historically, the like the the mantle of musical theater is to push, is to push American yeah. uh, values, to push American ideas about what's right and what's wrong and what's acceptable, who's in, who's out. Yes. Um, and it has almost always started in New York. Yeah. So maybe it's no wonder that the musical theater world right now seems to be in more of a, I don't want to say a tailspin because I'm too optimistic to believe that it's dying, but a kind of a deconstruction. Yeah. Um, and, and, and out of a deconstruction, there can be a reconstruction of something healthy. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's, it's happening on Broadway first. Yeah. And it's happening not just in New York, uh, geographically, New York City, New York, but it's happening in little musical theater centers all over the yes. United States. And it's happening in Dixon Hall yeah. at Summer Lyric Theater at Tulane. Yeah. Um, and so. that's, that's why I brought it up, because um, when faced with these kinds of... I have a hard time with change. Mm -hmm. So when, when faced with these kinds of really what feels like systemic changes i kind of lament i mean mm -hmm. i understand the need for it mm -hmm. but i just think oh can't we just do a show what you if know? we lost yeah 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 but but my point to my audience is liz looks at it you look at it as an opportunity i mean you when <laughs> you weren't even trying to prove anything earlier when you but the way you talk about it as if it's a great thing like we we get to be the ones well, it is right? kind of exciting that we're alive at this time. Yeah. In so many ways. There's so much chaos and so much confusion right now. It's not just about art or music. Um, it's, it's in... It's, yeah, it's, it's a very tumultuous time that we're living in right now. And it's, and it's a time of sorrow. It's a time of loss. Yeah. It is a time of change. It's a time where, unfortunately, uh, the lines are being drawn between one camp and another, and it's like the differences are becoming more and more entrenched. I think, unfortunately, because what we're doing, for example, in musical theater is being weaponized against us yeah. as if what we're trying to do is destroy yeah. Western civilization. Yeah, yeah. I think if we had a better understanding of the history of Western civilization, we would probably discover in the past similar periods of deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what, what alternative, I mean, I ask myself, what alternative do I have? Well, no, you know, none. This is this is what we have to do. None, but like I'm the kind of person that just kind of goes kicking and screaming. Yeah. And you're the kind of person who is just, you're just so you seem to be 
so comfortable in the discomfort. Just, you, you know, you're just kind of like, you, you're okay with the discomfort of it. And if anything, you, again, you see it as an opportunity. Well, look, I'll, I'll tell the audience, it's easy, I think, because I'm older. I'm several decades working in this profession. I've had so many opportunities. I've been able to play so many roles. I've done so many shows. I feel like every show I get from now till the day I die is just going to be lanyap. So it's kind of like I feel like I feel so... Uh, grateful. And I also, in the last three or four years, I've, I've come to recognize that I've been able to enjoy all of these rich opportunities because of the privilege that I have yeah. being white. Yeah. And um, so, so there's a certain amount of um, just a desire to say, okay, well, look, I've had my turn. It's okay with me to just make room for somebody else. But, but I don't want to put a moral burden on anybody. I don't want to place a burden on anybody's shoulders. Yeah. It, it might be easier for me to say it just because I'm older. I'm older and what I'm doing professionally is shifting now anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm playing everybody's mother, you know, the wise, you know, sage. Yeah. Or the comedic you know, sidekick or whatever. Um, so, uh, it, it also helps that I have a 19 year old daughter. Yeah. Okay. Who, yeah. Who, uh, is, uh, extremely well-informed, very opinionated. And, uh, she has made it known to me very clearly when she thought that I was being disrespectful to any yeah. group of Americans. Yeah. So, you were going to ask me about Mrs. Mears? Yes, I was in, going to ask um, you about Mrs. Mears. So uh, I guess when my daughter was in middle school, we did a production of Thoroughly Modern Millie. Yeah. And I played Mrs. Mears, who for the audience, Mrs. Mears is a white uh, woman, middle-aged woman, who is, you know, a scoundrel, kind of a, a bad guy. Uh, and... Um, She's a landlady, and she's involved in some kind of smuggling ring, human smuggling. Wow, human trafficking. That's right. Uh, anyhow, she has... It really does not hold up dramatically at all, um, but, but she has this uh, cover, like this persona that she wears, which is that she's uh, a Chinese woman named Mrs. Mears, and I was costumed in a, just a ridiculous geisha, which is not even Chinese. Right. Okay, so that's the first insult right there. Is you know, if, if you're going to insult a group, know know which group you're trying to insult. I didn't really wear yellow makeup, um, but from a technical standpoint, I was working in yellow face. And actually, right. to make things now. When the show was written, I think the writers were trying to actually make a statement about Yellowface because there was a number I did with my two assistants that was just a ripoff of Al Jolson. We, well, yeah. we literally Mammy. sang Mammy. We sang Mammy. 
it, it was, and so, so a sophisticated audience member might be able to do all the convoluted intellectual work to understand that Mrs. Mears was supposed to be offensive. In fact, the dialect that I worked with was deliberately bad. So I love working with dialects, and I work very hard to make sure that if I'm working in a dialect, it's authentic. Yeah. But in this case, I did no research. I just went with the stereotypical dialect. Yes. The kind that is really, really offensive. And at the time, my daughter, who was in middle school, she had a really hard time mm. with this. Mm. She was not comfortable with it at all. I think she was ashamed of me. She thought that I should have been ashamed of myself. <laughs> the three of you singing Mammy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought twice about that. But other, the other stuff, no. And today, I wouldn't Mm-mm. touch it with a 10-foot pole. I wouldn't touch pole. it. And look, I'll tell you as a performer, as a dancer, as somebody who grew up admiring Al Jolson, because, yeah. because he is considered like one of the foundational artists of the musical theater canon. Yeah. I felt like it was a privilege. So this was however many years ago that was, yeah. 2016. I would not feel that way today. But when I was doing it, I thought, how thrilling. Who knew that I could ever be Al Jolson? You know? Oh, yes. my gosh. And, and I'm yeah. saying this. Look, if any, of my, if any of my friends are out there listening, you have my sincerest apologies. Yeah. I would not do that today. Of course. And I'm not excusing my choice at all. But I'm, you know, it, I'm, I'm saying that I was clueless. But it doesn't feel... And, of course, this is what you alluded earlier about how... The perceptions of, I don't remember what it was about, but we were talking about perceptions and how they're not always right. But it doesn't feel like a gradual change, this. It feels like an overnight oh, change yeah. to me. Yeah. So uh, if that's true, what do you attribute it to? I think, I think the pandemic was, the pandemic was, um, uh, it, it was, first of all, it was, it was a terrible event. Millions of people died all over the world, and millions of lives have been permanently altered because because of the pandemic. So I am never going to say, "Oh, let's you know, let's look for all the good that came out of the." I'm never going to say that, but I will say at the same time because I do also believe in a sort of a divine efficiency that takes a tragedy. A horrible situation and finds a creative way to bring new life out of it and out of the pandemic all kinds of new ideas it's like we had time we literally stopped we even stopped consuming things we stopped buying things we turned toward relationships. We started having conversations, mm. um, and the and and the conversations uh, snowballed. Things took place that were triggering moments in our culture. Uh, the George Floyd murder. That's right. Yes, and millions of Americans, myself included 
poured out onto the streets to demand change. I was a part of that. Wow. I want, my, my daughter led the way, but I also wanted to do it because I work with a very diverse student population, and I was beginning to, since about 2015, I was beginning to understand that I had students who were very, very, very stressed and very upset about what was happening in the country. And so I wanted to be a part of it. I was a part of the dismantling of my own profession. Hmm. I, I was a part of it. And uh, so, so I th yes, it was an overnight change. I think this is... This is I'm I'm straying from the no, from the subject wonderful. here. I again I don't agree with these Americans, but I have sympathy for them. These Americans who are right now convinced that what this country needs is some kind of a culture war, and that we have to get back to the way things were. Yeah. Because the changes have happened so fast. Yeah. But then I have to remind myself the changes were long overdue Yeah. if you were a woman or a black American or gay or trans or the child of an immigrant. Like, to those Americans, that was not an overnight change. No. It was centuries in the making. No. So there is this yes. sudden shift, this tectonic shift in our country that to people like me, I'm just speaking for myself, have just really basically just been doing fine. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it seemed like a sudden shift. Yeah. But for so many millions of Americans, it's like finally. Yeah. It's like after a long labor, finally birth. You know, and and it's 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 painful. Yeah, it's painful. You know, I um, two episodes ago, I was talking to an African American friend of mine on this uh, podcast, and I used I, I related to her that I used to brag. I used to brag. I mean, years ago, I would say, "Oh, it was right." It was. You know how you have moments in your life. Oh, that was before Katrina, after Katrina, mm -hmm. before the pandemic, after mm -hmm. the pandemic. Everything gets measured like that. Right. Well, one of mine is cancer, which I had in mm -hmm. 2010. Mm -hmm. And before cancer and after cancer. So before cancer, I didn't care about politics. I didn't care about anything happening in the world. And I would say this to people. like, Because afterwards, I started caring. I'm not sure mm -hmm. what happened, mm -hmm. but I started caring about current events and what was happening in the world. But I would say at that time, post-cancer, oh, I didn't used to care about current events. Well, what an awful thing to say. I mean, I didn't have to worry about no. politics. I mean, I am part of one protected group, but when I'm out in the world, I mean, nobody no. notices or yeah. cares or, Nobody's gonna you know, I'm a big sort of guy, well-dressed, yeah. whatever. So, Well-educated. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and I've never had to worry about politics. Mm -hmm. So what a telling statement that is. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and what you're saying now about how, you know, it feels... It feels one way to me, this tectonic shift, as you uh, called it. But it, to other people and other groups, they're like, thank you. Mm -hmm. the, uh, what took you so long? Yeah. And not that we, we've arrived, but I'm saying right. like, 
the, the things seem to really be, you mm-hmm. know, making a, a turn. And so I do have sympathy for those who were not expecting this and for those who feel like their world has just been destroyed. Again, I don't agree that the solution is to go backwards. With three men around. I am beginning a long-term personal exploration around American patriotism that will definitely result in a musical presentation at some point. Although it is not uploaded yet, please take the time to take the survey and to tell all your friends and family about it. My goal is to have all kinds of demographics represented. When it does emerge, the URL will be sacred9.com patriotic.